Hello, and welcome to Of The People. I'm Robert Chernin. Thank you so much for joining us. Edward R. Murrow is turning over in his grave. For those of you who might not know the name, Edward R. Murrow was the father of modern-day journalism in the 50s and the 60s. He famously said that for a journalist to be persuasive or to be believed, they have to be persuasive. And to be persuasive, they have to be believable. To be believable, they have to be credible. And to be credible, they have to be truthful. And that's what we're lacking, is truth in journalism. I use the term honest broker. Journalists used to be honest brokers of information. And let's stop for a second, because a broker is an intermediary. An honest broker is a neutral intermediary that just gives you the facts, right? There is no longer the news business. It is the business of news. Because today, they're not reporting the news or the facts. What we're getting is the opinion of journalists as to what we should think about what's happening, or more importantly, not with telling us something, withholding information. So they don't even want us to know about it. Now, on some levels, thank God there's the internet because you can find, if you really care, stop watching cable TV and go find your own information. But for those who are relying on the major media networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and even cable, whether it's CNN or MSNBC or even Fox, to be very honest with you, right? We're relying on them to give us information, but really they give us what they, they think we want to hear or more importantly, what they want us to hear. There was a time back in the day that journalism was a sacred responsibility to the American public to report information. And yet you have the testimony of Devin Archer in the Biden crime family and Burisma scandal that all the major networks in primetime refused to even cover it. Forget about even putting a spin on it. They didn't even cover it. They don't want to cover it because what they don't want is they don't want us to think. They want to tell us what to think. And therein lies the problem because most of us allow them to do that because we don't go get our own information. So now we rely on who? On Joy Reid, on a couple of Wallaces, Chris Wallace, Nicole Wallace, Rachel Maddow, Wolf Blitzer, really? Where's Walter Cronkite? Where's Huntley and Brinkley, which I know is an old reference for most of you. But journalistic integrity used to be about, you didn't know the politics of the person that was reporting this information to you. And the truth is, these days there's an agenda and they just think that we're too stupid because it used to be there were only a certain number of media outlets. Now there are so many media outlets that you can choose, you can micro-target your information to stay in the, in the echo chamber of only that which you want to hear. And if you don't go outside of that echo chamber, you're never going to know what's going on because they want us not to think, but to believe. Folks, a good segue. Stay tuned for the main segment of today's show with Dr. James Lindsay, someone you may have heard, one of the first people who had a lifetime ban on Twitter figure that one out, right? Doctor, PhD in mathematics. He is a best-selling author. He is a media personality, and he is absolutely unapologetic and taking on the media and the culture wars and the cultural Marxism, we call it, excuse me, wokeism. So stay tuned for the next, for the next segment with Dr. James Lindsay. You're not going to want to miss this. We'll be right back. 
Hello, and welcome back to Of The People. I'm Robert Chernin with my lovely co-host. Erica Reddick. Yes, you are. And we are thrilled to have having joined us Dr. James Lindsay, best-selling author, mathematician, political commentator, certainly media personality. Dr. Lindsay, welcome to Of The People. Hey, my pleasure to be here. So if you might, if you don't mind, I'll introduce myself a little bit. Um, I'm going to read to you from the top of my SPLC extremist profile. It says James Lindsay has quickly <laughs> become a leading voice in the reactionary anti-student inclusion, anti-LGBTQ and conspiracy propaganda movements about James <laughs> Lindsay. James Lindsay regularly shares conspiracy theories about the supposed communist takeover of the world, especially the United States, promotes, quote, groomer rhetoric against the LGBTQ community and spread, spreads the, quote, white genocide theory that Marxists want to eradicate the white race. With alarmism and fear-mongering, Lindsay incites and segregates his base. It then goes on to say that uh, I made a series of tweets in my own word mocking George Floyd on the anniversary of January 6th, which is true. You know, I've always wanted to meet wow. a conspiracy theorist. It's nice to meet you. That is yeah. a lot. Where, where is that, that written? Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center. Law Center. <laughs> you so see, know you have made it. Those words. You yeah. know you have made it when the Southern Poverty Law Center hates you. Yeah, I feel well, like that's like a badge of honor. It's pretty big, and like the like that. I said, it, the 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 thing they focus on not quite first, but second on my bio is it says James Lindsay made a series of tweets mocking George Floyd on the anniversary of January sixth. I don't know how that's super pertinent to being an extremist, but it's really funny. So I said on January fifth this year, uh, comment with what you hope the ghost of George Floyd will bring you for January 6th. And then <laughs> if you support justice for George Floyd, he brings you presents on Democrat holidays, just like Santa. Oh and, my God. I mean, there's well, a whole bunch make of you, That would make you a racist. I mean, but don't feel bad. We're all racist now. Making yes. fun of George Floyd on January 6th is, is the most racist thing that you can do in new America. Got it. Um, sp speaking uh, truth about the racial divide in this country, and the real, not that there's racism, but that everything is now viewed through the lens of racism and the country was founded on original sin of racism, which is all crap anyway. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that makes you racist anyways. But I want to well, get back. Like yesterday and today that the sky is racist. Like the, the that literally Why, Americans blue? are proving their complicity in systemic white supremacy by not solving the climate crisis fast enough and dealing incorrectly with extreme weather. That's literally, I mean, there was a volcano that erupted probably in somewhere that's not America. And therefore it's white supremacy to mention that the oh volcano my put God. atmosphere, you know, put uh, water vapor in the atmosphere and caused intense weather for a little while. But, you know, we're not supposed to mention that it's white supremacy that we're not solving the sky. Wow. I, you know, it's why there's the not a chapter on that in your book, race Marxism, uh, that got published. Was that in 2021, 22? Race Marxism race was came out? Yeah, February 21, 21, no, February 22. Um, that now aren't you disappointed that you don't have a chapter on that in your book? 
You know, in, in, in 2017, I published an academic paper called The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct. And that academic paper argues that penises cause climate change. I didn't realize <laughs> that it was white supremacy. I had it all wrong. That is one of my favorite things, uh, James. One of, my, one, one of my introductions to you was actually learning about these academic papers that you had written that are all sort of, um, I don't know if a joke is the right way to put it, because look, for, for our listeners, you really are do have a PhD, you really are a smart guy, but your point was to try to prove I understand correctly how bogus and nonsense these academic papers are. And so you wrote a series of academic papers that got published that are absolute nonsense. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good summary of it. We wrote 20 of them, seven of them got accepted, four of them were actually published. It takes a little while between acceptance and publication. And um, one of them got an award for excellence in scholarship in the field. And uh, there were seven more that were still under peer review. And our goal was to expose that there was some kind of a corruption between the peers, uh, that peer review is only as good as the peers in, in some sense. And the community that was form, you know, forming the basis for how we decide what counts as publishable academic material that our society all takes very seriously, that that, that community itself is corrupt and beholden to an ideology that's actually guiding their processes. Um, I mean, we had other purposes. We wanted to prove that we know enough about it to be able to publish such things and therefore that they can't just dismiss our criticism as uninformed reaction. Uh, but yeah, the primary purpose was to show that something was badly wrong in the theoretical humanities bleeding over into the social sciences. And mm. now we see that it's bled over into everything. Um, yeah most maybe alarming of all of these things being uh medicine yes and this you did this years ago this wasn't like last year or the year before this was yeah before we're creeping up on the fifth COVID. anniversary yeah this was before covid this was before you know uh the lockdowns and all of that stuff um and and you're not a right winger. So this is not, you're not coming at this as like a Christian conservative who's trying to attack the, you know, whatever. You would, I think, consider yourself, you know, maybe not liberal is the right word, but you are not, again, you're not a conservative. You're not like a me or a robber who, you know, has a fundamental problem with the educational system because of, you know, taking religion out or, or, you know, whatever you were an act, you are, were an academic, basically trying to highlight how foolish academics was and yeah, how that's dangerous. The, that's the basic idea. Um, I don't know where to fall, where to place myself in terms of like, politics now i just mm. do my own thing i don't really care if people want to call me a conservative okay and if they want to call me a liberal like okay i adhere kind of in political philosophy to classical liberalism mm. um which puts me outside of the left right parrot you know you know right winger i'm not a left winger either it's like i'm not on the bird at all there's one bird yeah. left wing right wing i'm not on that bird <laughs> like to hell with that bird um <laughs> so it's difficult to place me because it's I, I, I'm only 
concerned to the best of my ability to apprehend it with what's true. Mm. And then um, where that places me is kind of irrelevant to me. I don't really give a crap what social circles that puts me in. Which is a big problem for a lot of people because the main thing they want is to have people with influence or whatever, or even just people in their social circles and to prioritize that that tribal unity over uh, getting to the bottom of things. That's, that is a big, big problem. Robert, I think I, inter- I in, uh, uh, interrupted a question of yours. So, James, a question. So, talk a little bit about high-level cultural Marxism. I mean, I love the the paper, the conceptual penis as a social construct, which I assume is sort of that that toxic masculinity um, uh, trope that you know that the left throws around. But talk more broadly about what is cultural Marxism. Well, we'll start here. The Southern Poverty Law Center says through his multiple communication channels, Lindsay continues to spread his various conspiracy theories and aversion to what he deems as, quote, wokeness. Mm. Most of his rhetoric focuses on the specter of cultural Marxism slash communism, a supposed white genocide and the alleged indoctrination of children by sinister forces. Um, And so that didn't really say a lot about what cultural Marxism is. I think they mentioned it again somewhere. His concentration on combating communism and cultural Marxism in America earned him prominence in the reactionary anti-student inclusion movement. I don't know what that is. That rapidly gained traction through the country at the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's not very helpful, but I did just want to highlight that the Southern Poverty Law Center seems to think that it's important that um, I'm fighting against this. As a matter of fact, I've enlisted as a conspiracy theorist on my Wikipedia, for example, specifically for talking about cultural Marxism. So cultural Marxism is a interesting thing. There's this is I apologize that this is going to require a little unpacking and I hate when things require that. It's not that hard to understand, but there's this weirdness around it. There are a variety of names for a school of thought that arose uh, in the 1920s and 1930s to address the problem that the Bolshevik revolution only took place in a peasant society, which was exactly the opposite of where Marx said it would work. Yeah. And it would not take place in the West. And one of the architects of this school of thought, who is named Antonio Gramsci, uh, was frustrated that the Italian workers' parties would not unify amongst themselves and trigger a communist revolution in Italy. He was also frustrated that they wouldn't unify with the workers' parties in other countries and internationally, um, and were in fact most enthralled by the nationalistic aspects of these parties in the first place, the Italian part. And so he was frustrated about this. And of course, that is where the birth of the fascist movement really kind of uh, came from. And so he was trying to write a analysis to explain why it is that for this so-called school of thought to explain why it is that a Marxism was taking hold in the wrong places and not in the places predicted by Marx by means not predicted by Marx. And um, so Lenin was taking over a bunch of peasants by promising them they'd be able to get better work, as opposed to workers rising up and saying work is exploitative and we're going to overthrow our oppressors uh, and seize the means of production. And then um, thirdly, to understand why it's just not happening in the West overall. So that school of thought is sometimes referred to as Western Marxism, 
It is sometimes referred to as cultural Marxism because his answer was that the West had robust cultural institutions that produce and transmit values that repel communism. And in particular, those he named five cultural institutions, and those were religion, family, education, media, and law were all in the West attached to Western, Western values and were mm-hmm. transmitting and promoting and maintaining Western values that excluded communism. And so his strategy was to do cultural subversion by entering into those uh, or infiltrating, I really should say, those cultural institutions and creating a new, uh, a new way of thinking. He called it a counter hegemony. I'm trying not to use too many big words um, within the institutions that would then promulgate new cultural values out to transform the society from within so that a a communist revolution would be fruitful eventually. And so this is sometimes called cultural Marxism, but uh, the communists being very savvy operators claim that cultural Marxism is is a dog whistle for disliking Jewish people, that it's an anti Semitic dog whistle because many of the people that were involved in the building of Western Marxism were in fact Jewish, uh, or at least they were people who claimed to be Jews uh, one way or the other, or they had Jewish parentage or something of this kind. What binds them together Mm -hmm. is not their religion, but rather that they were communists, as evidenced by the fact that they were also big fans later of Mao Zedong, who is famously not very Jewish. Um, (laughs) Turns out he's sort of Chinese. Um, Point. So Western Marxism or cultural Marxism was as a school of thought that was architected by Antonio Gramsci uh, in Italy, George Lukács in Hungary primarily, and then the Frankfurt School, which developed obviously in Frankfurt, Germany at the, uh, mm. the what is it, the University of Goethe in Frankfurt, and which was originally called the Institute for Marxism. <laughs> But then they changed it to the Institute for Social Research so that it would kind of be a little under the radar. And so if you go, for example, now to Wikipedia and you type in cultural Marxism, it will it'll direct you to a page called cultural Marxism conspiracy theory. This was not true five years ago or even four years ago. I don't know exactly when that changed, but I remember that it that it did. But you can now there is a link that will take you to the old page that explains that there's this whole school of thought that thought to use Marxist conflict based stratified class analysis across cultural issues, cultural infiltration and subversion in order to prepare the West to uh, be taken over in a communist revolution, uh, which was going to take complete values, subversion and inversion to accomplish. Uh, That also explains the aspect of it that is actually a conspiracy theory that is the Jews run everything and they created communism in order to be able to subvert the West because they want to be, you know, whatever Jewish destruction, uh, Tikam Olum or or whatever the Olam that they say it is. Um, Tikkun Olam. Yeah, you can see I'm super versed and and interested in this So. Got it. So <laughs> cultural Marxism is a school of thought. Maybe it's better just to avoid this stupid SPLC horse to call it Western Marxism. It has yeah. definitive fathers who wrote copiously. George Lukács very famously wrote a very, I think, accessible, given that it's communism, book in 1923 called History and Class Consciousness that lays out what became a lot of Western Marxism. Antonio Gramsci wrote this stuff down in what are collected in what's known as the prison notebooks, which span over 3,000 pages that he wrote in prison after the Italian fascists threw him in prison to quote unquote, stop his brain from working for 20 years. He died in prison 11 years later. 
so his brain only ended up not working for nine of the years. And for the other 11, he wrote 3,000 pages of some of the most wow. influential communist doctrine ever written uh, in secret in his prison cell. And so this, these are known architects. The Frankfurt School arises in 1920-ish, 23-ish, something like that, massively funded uh, and yeah. grows in influence. And it's, you know, early members are like Max Horkheimer and Walter Benjamin and all the, the, these are people with names who wrote books with their names on them. It's, it's like, it's not hard to see what the line of thought or school of thought is. And then eventually, you know, Horkheimer and Marcuse and, uh, and Adorno, who are big prominent members of the Frankfurt School, Eric Fromm, all hits Hitler takes a chancellorship in the 30s in Germany. They're like, we better get the hell out of Dodge. And so they were brought to the United States um, to get asylum from Hitler's fascist regime. And then the United States decided that these people that are like blatant cultural subverters needed to be brought into major institutions like major universities, Brandeis, Columbia, UCLA, UCSD. Um, maybe the, one of them ended up in Berkeley for a while. I can't remember. And then uh, also Herbert Marcuse gets stuck in the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, which is a precursor to the CIA. So this is who's building out the thing that becomes our CIA in the 1940s, if you can imagine. Um, so cultural Marxism is a school of thought that says we're going to use cultural analysis to try to transform the values of the West to make it more, more fruitful to communism. So that's where we start. So cultural Marxism basically is like the foundation and the undergirding of all of the separation that we see happening where you have the um you know the 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 theories or the um oh my goodness what's the you know uh critical race theory queer theory exactly yeah yeah it's like the foundation of all of that stuff yeah where... so what was going on gramsci had this idea of cultural infiltration and subversion and that was big and then Lukács had this idea, who I mentioned, the Hungarian, had this idea that um, actually class consciousness is an educable thing. It, it's it's graduated. Mm. It's not like you just wake up one day and you have class consciousness. There are stages of learning and it can be taught. And so you have this emphasis of bringing it into education and teaching people what it means to have class consciousness. It's not just by getting ranted at by Marxists and reading their books that all of a sudden you're going to have it. There was actually an educational mode. that you could, This is the third chapter of, of history and class consciousness for anybody who wants to go read it than for themselves where he's laying it out. And then um, the mode of analysis of the Frankfurt School was particularly how is culture produced and how do we subvert the production of culture. And so you have, for example, Theodore Adorno, who I mentioned being excessively angry about jazz music, saying that jazz was its own form of cultural rot and subversion. And so he wow. had these long things he wrote about how he didn't like jazz music and how this was, you know, indicative of maybe Weimar kind of uh, mentality that would degrade the culture and lead to, to the fascist catastrophe. And then you had them talking about what they called the culture industry. So they talked about the way that culture and, and thus, in fact, you as a person, who you think you are in the West and advanced capitalism is commodified and sold to you. So you are sold through advertisements, an image of who you think you're supposed to be. And that person happens to drink Coca-Cola. So you'll go buy Coca-Cola. And yeah. so the culture industry became the target of their analysis. 
in the 1960s, they became frustrated because they realized they are not going to motivate people on economic means and the cultural analysis was too abstract. And so Marcuse extremely clearly writes down that what has to happen is that we have to abandon the working class as the as the proletariat revolutionary class and move into different modes of cultural analysis where there is what he called the vital energy for revolution and that vital energy was to be found he said in the ghetto populations racial minorities sexual minorities feminists and outsiders who are to be brought together and cobbled together and then enlightened to the concrete nature of their oppression through college students who are being indoctrinated in the schools that they had already infiltrated. This was explicitly written down in One Dimensional Man in a repeated short form in his, it was 64 and 65, his essay, Repressive Tolerance, he mentions it, but it's laid out in pretty heavy detail in his 1969 essay, uh, Counter or sorry, that's a essay on liberation, Counter Revolution and Revolt instructs the uh, wholesale infiltration of professions in the entire professional class. Uh, so that's Marcuse's writings from 64 to 72, laying this plan out. And he was so, an extraordinarily influential leftist at the time. Now, that sounds like when you say that, like, sexual minorities, racial minorities, you know, basically that that was the Obama coalition that was formed to get him elected president. It was well, like, that all makes we, sense. Right. So if we take all of the people who feel slighted, basically, and and market to them that, you know, we're all one group, even though uh, on paper, some of these groups might not otherwise get along. But there's a big gap of time between when we're talking about the 30s and the 60s and 70s and, you know, 2000s when Obama gets elected. So that is is it like do we think that there was a concerted intentional effort to de degrade and erode all of these institutions in order to get there yes. or is it just that it it just happened over time like also yes but both of those things were happening so the cultural, this was being infused into the culture, but is primarily being infused into the culture through education. Uh, mm -hmm. Entertainment started catching on later. McCarthy was not wrong about the communist influences in Hollywood, but um, it was primarily being infused into the culture through uh, through education. And there was a concerted effort for them to get into education at all levels. That's a, a direct quote from Marcuse and Counter-Revolution and Revolt in mm, 1972. And okay. the goal, and so you bring up Obama, none of this is abstract. None of this is like just mystery conspiracies floating out in the air. I bring up Marcuse, we'll get to Obama, watch this. So Marcuse had all these ideas and he pushed all these ideas into the university at every level. And the university system, for whatever reasons, maybe Shelby Steele is one of the most you know, enlightening writers on this issue was caving into this leftist agenda over and over and over again through the 60s and 70s, massive amounts of white guilt or whatever as Shelby Steele attributes it to. They were taking it up. They were building out women's departments or women's studies departments. They were building out race studies departments. They were building out um, ethnic studies became law in 67 or eight or something like that in California to have 67. ethnic studies education at the UC system. And so they were building out this educational apparatus. Cause if you get the education system, you train the students, thus you get the future professionals and the future professionals shape the world. And so it's pretty clear how this works. But one of Marcuse's students specifically was Angela Davis. 
It was one of his PhD students. And Angela Davis went on to help found this thing called the Combahee River Collective, which was a collective of b black feminist socialist lesbians who were the first ones to lay out this kind of intersectional idea that all of the forms of oppression are interlinked, sex, class, race, sexuality, and so on, and that it has to be understood in that way, which later got codified by Kimberly Crenshaw. Well, Kimberly Crenshaw was a PhD student. She's the one famous for so-called intersectionality. She named it. She's considered also mm -hmm. the founding mother of critical race theory, which she also named, but she was a PhD or doctoral, I guess it's JD probably student. I don't know which doctorate it is of Derek Bell, who is credited as actually the, the father of critical race theory. Derek Bell was a mentor of Barack Obama, who was teaching him the same exact legal theory mm -hmm. uh, before that. And he, Obama held Bell up and honored him. More than that, this same strategy was implemented by the dying radical guard, not dying in the physical dying sense, but the, the radicalism of the 1960s transformed into a radicalism into the institutions. You can actually read this in, say, Isaac Gottesman's history of, of the critical turn in education, which goes by that title. Uh, he says the first sentence of the book is, where did all the 60s radicals go? Not to yuppiedom, not to the religious cults, but to the classroom. And if you look at the history, uh -huh. like Bill Ayers and Bernadette Dorn and all of these hardcore weather underground radicals, that's exactly what they did. Bernadette Dorn did her time or whatever it was. She got in trouble for being a a uh, criminal and ended up at Northwestern University in the English department for 30 years. And then you take that, you add all that together. And what you end up with is that Bernadette Dorn and, and Bill Ayers also were the ones who mentored Barack Obama directly into politics. And so you see the, the roots of the cultural spread, you see the takeover of the institutions, and you see the mentoring of the guy who used it to, to launch into power. And as they said, when he got elected to transform America fundamentally. Right. And then right. he literally utilized every opportunity to split us apart by race. Uh, you know, oh, so and Michael Brown looked like my son or whoever it was. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, every exactly every opportunity to every emotional string you could guilt. pull. On. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. And it was supposed to be that this was evidence that we weren't racist anymore, right? Like, there, Americans thought, okay, now we can finally put this question to bed. We can finally set aside this, uh, you know, the original sin of slavery. And instead, what it actually did was create the most racial division that, um, that we could imagine and race mm -hmm. relations have gone down and you know it, it, then it's the justification for riots and rioting mm -hmm. and you know all of this additional hatred and things like that that's marxism for you marxism claims that all these mysterious forces out there capitalism white supremacy whatever alienate people from their true selves each other their work and the fruits of their labors. But the truth is it alienates people. It teaches them to feel alienated from what they're doing, alienated from the society, alienated from their neighbor. It teaches them grievance. And that's why we call the papers thing, the grievance studies affair. It teaches that specifically. Mm. And then it makes use of that. It induces alienation and makes use of that alienation to try to split apart societies. That's exactly how it works. So my question for you, this is all very informative. I appreciate it, James. So how do you fight back against this? I mean, I mean, you've thrown a lot of good information out, and I understand the line from 
you know, the twenties and the foundation of communism all the way through today. You know, it does bring to mind, I assume you've heard the name Yuri Bezmenov. Yes, of course. Right. So, and for those of our listeners who don't know, so he was a former KGB agent uh, who um, either immigrated or just escaped communist Russia, lived in Canada, gave an interview in the seventies, which if you read it, it's on video, by the way, I forget who did the interview, but basically he said that there is this long range plan, even after the USSR formally dissipated or, or broke apart to subvert America through taking over mm. cultural institutions. Now I'm overly simplifying James, what you just said, because you have so much more information. My question to you really is, how do you fight back against this? Because most people, especially with the cacophony of noise that is now the media or now mm. information through technology and other things, um, you know, we, we, we choose our information in the same sort of micro-targeted silos. We buy our Adidas or our sneakers, mm -hmm. right? We only want to hear, we only want to hear from the echo chamber that's going to reinforce what we already think. And since mm. we're already in a culture war, and it's a, you know it's not a hot war, but it's a war nonetheless. How do you fight mm -hmm. back against this? Well, I mean, you actually just kind of pointed to to part of it. Um, what we know is that if this this cultural infiltration has taken place, especially through en entities of media, education, and so on, um, what has to happen is that you you just identified that people are going and listening to what they want to hear. Well, so distrust in the organizations that are pushing the elements of this line has to be sown as widely as possible. They mm. should not be trusted because they're, they're using their platforms to do propaganda. And that falls on the back of exposing what's going on. So that's why I spend so much time elaborating upon this history so that people can see and understand what we're dealing with. We're finally, after years of me speaking up about this, starting to realize there's a Marxist cultural revolution happening in this country, and we have to respond to it as what it is. Um, practically speaking, uh, there's a lot of having to take risks by telling the truth, mm -hmm. doing the right thing when it's costly. Uh, like that fellow on the subway, Daniel Penny, who protected the subway and he got arrested for it. And it's going to take people taking risks that get them in trouble. Uh, mm. Smart, calculated risks that, that you have to have some skin in the game. You have to be willing to to lose something. Otherwise, they've got you, uh, in essence, by the balls. And so those are things that people have to do. Lawsuits are going to have to be filed, particularly smart and strategic ones. Mm. Um, but that only follows after somebody has taken a risk and ended up legally injured in some way. And so yeah. people are going to have to be willing to stand up, tell the truth, do the right thing, get the legal injury and turn around and sue. Um, all of which is is costly and difficult. But you, as you acknowledge, it's a war. If we were building tanks, they're costly and difficult to build and transport too. Uh, supply lines are difficult to maintain. These are the kinds of ways that we have to think about fighting back. Your average everyday person though, they have to start nourishing the things that are close to them that keep their head straight the kids say get outside and touch grass you should definitely be working on things that that protect the kind of mental and emotional state that you're in don't get manipulated if you get mad at social media it's time to get off of it right now and go away if you're watching television you need to understand it's designed to manipulate your emotions to buy the thing in the commercial so stop watching it because it's manipulating your emotions um these kinds of little kind of hygiene activities are going to be very necessary and that's what you're not saying disengage from those things you're saying you no know, engage with those things but take breaks make sure no, you're saying, he's saying he, he's saying engage in in america disengage from those things war. that are harmful 
That's right. It's it's to learn to discern. Like, for instance, I don't watch cable news whatsoever. I find mm. news other ways. Yeah. And the reason is, yeah, I know there's lots of agendas. There's lots of manipulation and so on on social media, which is where I end up finding much of it. But I that at least has this kind of scattershot multitude of voices providing the information plus the context that you might see it in that you can then weigh for yourself. Cable news is designed to do one thing and one thing only which is not just specifically to propagandize you. It is to work up your emotions so you buy the thing mm. in the first commercial. That is actually their business model. That has been their business model for 10 years, wow. which means even if you have a discerning mind, you still have the situation that it's working up your emotions. I used to tell people the best thing to do to stay sane in all of this is turn off the TV. And they'd come back to me and say, well, what about Tucker Carlson? And I'd say, did I stutter? The point of his show was still... <laughs> was still to get people's emotions worked up to sell what's ever in the first commercial block of, of yeah. the block. Yep. That's what I think that one of the things that I hear from people a lot is, oh, the, you know, culture war, I don't want to be, I'm afraid to be in the culture war or don't get involved in the culture war. And I'm like, no, that is that is the battleground right they're, now. They're in, they're, Erica, it, they're involved. They're involved in the war whether they want to be or not. The only question well, that's is, do the they thing. know it? And are they willing to carry the weight and join the fight? Because that's why, look, you and I have talked about this. That's why um, the elite, if let's, and that's sort of a colloquialism, but let's just talk about the people that are controlling the, the mechanism and wheels of power want people to be distracted, want people to be on the sidelines, don't want people to get involved. Right. right. Because, and that's why someone, and, and I'm, I'm not, arguing pro-Trump or, or, or against Trump, but that's why Brexit, Bolsonaro, Trump, those, the, the ones that really sort of were able to harness a populist movement scared the out of the people that are pushing this, what I will call cultural Marxism. Yeah. James, we're running out of time here. Your last thoughts on what I just said. And then I, I, if you could, please, this has been so informative. Can you please give us where people can reach you, how they can contact you uh, and learn more about this. And let's go from there. No, my last thoughts are exactly what you just said. Um, the Trump, Bolsonaro, Brexit scared the living crap out of these people because it actually kind of started to break through their propaganda and it started to empower things that they didn't have completely under their control, mm. um, which is what they want. The goal is to push people out of the game one way or the other. One way is to keep them on the bench so they never get in the, on the court in the first place. And another way is to make them feel like the game can't be won, so just set it down. It'll be easier for me if I just go along with it. But that's all an illusion. The truth is yeah. it's safer for everybody. The more people that speak up against it, if you think something's wrong and you aren't speaking up, then that's not good. You've got to start speaking up about it because, um, the more people who are silent, the, the less of a resistance there is everywhere, large numbers of people. And I'm talking, you know, only a couple, maybe 10 to 20% of the population have spoken up. Think vaccine passports, for example. They have not been able to implement their agendas. Uh, and there are countless examples of these things. We're not going to go through them all uh, on a time crunch. But there are lots of examples for where we've stood up and said no, and it worked. And it will continue to work. But it requires people to be engaged and willing and willing to take the risks and the hits. Um, where people can find me. 
uh, well, first of all, the message there is don't quit, get involved and don't quit. Yeah. Even if all you can do is something small, get involved and don't quit, do the right thing every time. Right. Um, but where you can find me, uh, uh, my website is newdiscourses.com. So you can find my podcasts, my articles and so on there, videos. Um, you can find me on social media, uh, at conceptual James. I'm on all of them, but Facebook from which I am permanently banned and you can find for a meme and it's hard to get on my Instagram. So it's worth the effort probably. Uh, and then, um, the company is at new discourses on social media across all the platforms. So you can find new discourses on all of the social media platforms. Well, and I just love James. You were one of the original uh, people that got banned from Twitter mm -hmm. before Elon Musk bought it and took over. Uh, you coined, uh, you know, whether you were the first one ever to say it, but you definitely, I remember when you got kicked off of Twitter for the OK Groomer tweet and what a storm that set off on the internet it was amazing and this this idea that you are willing to be a voice and say the thing out loud um and and risk you know being banned being silenced uh to to say the thing that needs to be said is one of the things that i appreciate so much about you oh thanks erica that's all true um that all happened Yes. Luckily, Elon Musk. Now you're back making everybody mad again. I love That's it. That's true too. If you're not Make stirring Twitter the pot mad again. If you're not stirring the pot and making people mad or getting hate mail, you're not making a difference. So James, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on of the people. Um, like I said, this is probably the quickest segment went through that I've ever been in. It just flew by. So thank you. Hopefully you'll come again. We appreciate you joining us. Folks, yeah, you're listening to Of The People with Robert Turner and Erica Reddick. We'll be right back after break. America came into being based on a shared belief and a common set of values. Unlike other nations that were bound together based on common ancestry, race, or caste, we came into being based on a simple and shared set of ideals. That the power of government is based on the consent of the governed. That life, the freedom to live life on our own terms in our own way, free from government interference, and liberty, our most precious value, and the pursuit of happiness, which means we are free to pursue that which we choose with the knowledge and courage to know that nothing is guaranteed to us in this life. Those values, America was founded on these basic inalienable rights. Freedom to pray to God in our own way. Freedom to think and speak freely without fear of punishment or harm. And freedom to gather in our places of worship and in our local taverns. And freedom to defend ourselves, our families, our homes, and our neighbors as we see fit. The American Center for Education and Knowledge is dedicated to protecting American exceptionalism anywhere and everywhere it is threatened. ASIC is a 501c3 and depends on your tax-deductible donations. Please help us continue our fight. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show on WNTK and WUVR on the radio in New Hampshire. Just a reminder that you can also find us on social media. 
some of the more spicy takes and uh, you might get a little bit more energy uh, and some of the things that we can't talk about on the radio. So you can find of the people on Rumble, that's the best place, at Robert Chernin. Okay, so we're on Robert Chernin's channel on Rumble. And uh, again, that's where you're going to find our spicy takes, our hot takes, things that you're not going to hear on the radio. We've got a YouTube channel too, you guys, but these days, YouTube, uh, we're getting community guideline strikes left and right, even when we're telling the truth. So join us on Rumble. That's where the movement, the free speech movement is happening. You can also find us on Twitter, shorts on YouTube, uh, the things that we can say. Uh, great opportunities to share, share the message and keep people engaged. Twitter, it's RB Chernin to get Robert. For me, it's Erica Reddick. That's E-R-I-C-K-A-R-E-D-I-C because I know y'all spell my name wrong. I know you do. I know you do. It's okay. I love you anyway. I love you. So find us on social media. Get those spicy takes on Rumble. And again, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to all these social media channels. Help us fight the big tech overlords and make sure this message gets shared. From conservative commentator and contributor to Breitbart News, The American Spectator, The Jerusalem Post, The New Civil War, Exposing Elites, Fighting Utopian Leftism, and Restoring America, Bruce D. Abramson brings a transformative exploration into how progressivism has poisoned America. Featuring a foreword by President Trump's former strategist, Sebastian Gorka, PhD, The New Civil War will open your eyes to the left's incendiary agenda and how patriotic Americans can fight back. We are living through a national trauma. The United States has jettisoned the rule of law and ceased functioning as a republic. Battle lines have been drawn. Progressives are moving quickly to cement their transformation of the country's beliefs, attitudes, values, social structures, economic models, and government organizations. Patriotic Americans are waking up to recognize that conservatism failed to conserve much of anything. Progressives control academia, media, the civil service, and several of our country's most important industries. The new civil war is not a call for war. It is a recognition that war has been declared on us. Our sacred love of liberty is under attack. Unless we defend it, the America we love may be lost. This book is for every patriotic American eager to defeat the utopian left and restore America. Joel Pollack, conservative journalist. Americans face a bizarre new political landscape. A supposedly moderate president who ran on promises of unity is pursuing a radical left-wing agenda. These challenges call for principled, effective opposition. The new civil war will help start a conversation about how to push back. Harmeet Dillon, civil rights lawyer. As a lawyer who defends the victims of progressivism every day, I have looked into the eyes of the thought police. The new civil war provides the wake-up call American needs and serves as a self-defense manual for patriotic Americans. Get your copy of The New Civil War today. Hello, and welcome back to Of The People. I'm Robert Chernin. I'm Erica Reddick. And we are back. Thanks for staying with us. Erica, Dr. James Lindsay, I know we're not supposed to call him a doctor, uh, what a, what a force. Yeah. What a force. Just a yeah. great interview with him and so much information to process about what he calls 
cultural Marxism, what I would call, you know, sort of wokeism is the new religion. Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, it's, I, I find it really fascinating. I was just on a podcast, someone else's show last night, uh, Larry Sharp, who's running for governor in New York. Um, and there was a conversation with some of the guests about how we shouldn't be engaged in the culture war and that that's what's keeping us divided and we should just disengage from that. And I'm like, no, that's ground zero for the problem. They want us to hate each other. And so it it is not that we should be engaged in the culture war and continue the hatred, but to point out where they are trying to divide us and just how they are trying to divide us. And in the end, we're all Americans. And what what should be uniting us is this idea of rights and duties and responsibilities, bringing our communities back together again, uh, setting aside the uh, demographics that make us different, and instead remembering that we are all Americans who ultimately want the same thing, uh, which is to be, you know, to, to pursue our own uh, idea of happiness, to uh, be safe in our homes, to have a good education for our children, and, um, and to worship our gods as we see fit. And so, you know, I, uh, I just love how he's got this big, huge brain, but he can still kind of just articulate the history and how we got here. And they say, you know, knowing your history makes it so you don't repeat it. So, well, it actually say, if you forget the past, you're condemned to repeat it. Right. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that thing. Exactly. So let's not repeat it. Y'all come on now. Well, I think, I think, look, there are practical applications to this. The real question is what there was so much information. What do you do with it? Right. I mean, yeah. one of the, one of the takeaways for me, which obviously we do this because you and I care and we're passionate is get involved. Don't, don't rely on, on sort of the institutions to get your news, go get your own news, get involved, whether it's yeah. on the state level, the local level, the, the federal level, but the, more important is to understand what's happening. The, I mean, sure. We shouldn't fight the culture war. We should just capitulate is really what your what that other guest on your other podcast, I'm sure, was basically saying. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the other thing people need to remember here, the people that are pushing this culture war are not the majority in America. Yeah. And I believe that it was one of our other guests who was Jacob Buyens who said this whole silent majority thing. Yeah. Right. Is where the problem is. Because I believe of the majority of Americans don't buy all this crap, all this culture, yeah. you know, um, uh, wokeism, uh, culture war. Uh, but this really is taking down America from within because they're going after the, these traditional institutions. That's I right. do want to bring up the name that I brought up before, which is Yuri Bezmenov. He is a former KGB agent who uh, 
escaped Soviet Russia, came to Canada in the 70s and gave this long interview, which Bezmenov, B-E-Z-M-E-N-O-V, folks, Yuri, Y-U-R-I, look it up, it's on the internet. And what he Definitely. basically says is that this is a, what you're seeing in America is a long-term decentralized plan put in place by the old Soviet regime to co-opt, to go get the institutions and, and culturally embed these values and change America's values from within. And, and James Lindsay was 100% correct that if you take over education, you're training the next generation of leaders. And these leaders will be um, inculcated or, or you know, given these values that are not American values. They are Soviet values or they're communist or socialist values. And I know everybody sort of shuts yeah. their ears with all of this. But what I found most informative from him, and there was Lord knows a lot, is the direct lineage of the authorship of the of the, you know different strands of communism in the world because there's not just one it's just not from the Soviet Union right direct line through Barack Obama and if there's one segment I think we should highlight in the show and Lord Benjamin let's make a clip of that one is that lineage to Barack Obama that needs because that's really what people need to understand because most people go oh that doesn't exist that's bullshit it's not. Oh, yeah. And I love how, oh, communism hasn't really been tried. Socialism hasn't really been tried. Now you sound like it, Bernie Sanders. Oh, my God. It's like whether it's China, Venezuela, Cuba, you know, Marxists will try to deny that communism ever really existed or, Mar or you know, socialism has ever really been done correctly. And it's like, nah, bro. Uh, it's been done correctly. It's been done. Uh, it, it, there is, there is no way to, to create the kind of revolution that Marx talked about without there being a tremendous amount of force, coercion, death, and destruction. That is just the reality because the human spirit does not want to be tyrannized. And, you know, we can argue <laughs> certainly all day uh, that there are some people who are absolutely willing and happy to be tyrannized and just want to be told what to do and will go along with anything. But at some point, people are going to fight back. And you, you can't just take people's stuff without there being a consequence. And so, uh, uh, you know, and, and the denial of human nature, uh, I think is a hallmark of any Marxist that we can remake man in this, image that he's gonna oh he's he cares about his neighbor and he's oh we're all just gonna get along in this utopia and it's it is a lie it is an absolute lie and uh and people if they could understand that one thing that the reality of human nature cannot be changed it is unchanging and has been since the beginning of time uh people need to just get over it and they we, need to get and over we it? mitigate that the, that they can change it 
All you can do is mitigate the harm that we can do to one another. Humans are going to be humans, period. Okay. That's my that mean. You're human and I'm human since humans it's are going to be humans. Sorry, I, I mean, as no, as far as I know, although there apparently there's all these lizard people on airplanes now, which is a whole <laughs> other topic. I thought I saw one on the flight yesterday. If you're, if, you're watching, if you're watching the podcast, I'm in a safe house somewhere in the middle of America. I can tell you where, but I was on a plane yesterday escaping. So it did take me a while. Yeah. Uh, look, the important thing here is practical application of all of this, right? Yeah. And why it's important that Moms for Liberty are fighting for what's taught in the schools understand why parental rights are important understand why school choice is important That's because right. it starts and it ends with educating the next generation we've already lost this generation but in terms of the whole culture war it's really simple you're in a war so the question is whether it's a hot war or not and of course the other side just wants you to capitulate and lay down but understand that that's what's going on here so yeah. um you know it, it is well, I tell you, there's there's so much go going on. I just and we didn't get to half of what I wanted wanted to cover, because real practical application is all the crap that the Biden administration is, is throwing at us, or doing or not doing. Because I mean, it was whether it's and we'll, we'll talk about it next episode or next show. But you know, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I did find yeah. out a little bit about China buying up around the Travis Air Force Base. Oh, and by the way. Remember, we talked about how the Biden administration is defining hunting and archery programs in the schools. Mm -hmm. So you have two senators, Cinema and Manchin, because this was passed under the Bipartisan Safety and Communities Act. If you remember, there was a shooting, I think it was in a diner in Buffalo, and then obviously Uvalde in the school in Texas. So this was a gun control act that basically used vague language about not, you know, you know, funding dangerous weapons or the education or how to use dangerous weapons. And here you have the Democrats uh, and Biden extending it to hunting and archery. And now you have cinema, Senator Cinema and uh, Manchin up in arms. But um, wow. anyway, I, dig I digress. There are practical applications for all this culture war stuff that people say, oh, either we're not really in a culture war or we shouldn't fight back in the culture war. Sorry not who I am and not who I'm going to allow anyone around me to be. This is this is not about fighting with, ladies and gentlemen. This is about fighting for. That's right. Keep that in That's mind. That's right. Folks, we are getting the high sign from our producer. This has been a whirlwind of a show. Again, my thanks, our thanks to Dr. James Lindsay for coming right. on and educating us in no uncertain terms. Uh, yes. Email us. You email me, Robert C at ASICfund.org, A-C-E-K-F-U-N-D.org, or better yet, Twitter at RB Churning. Erica, they can get you at where? Generally irritable at gmail.com and Erica Reddick on Twitter. And uh, actually, they can see two other interviews with Dr. James Lindsay on my channel, Generally Irritable. So they're a little bit uh, even longer, long form. So I encourage everybody to go check those out too. And folks, download us, 
wherever you get your podcasts, whether it is Amazon or Google or Apple, although some people told me we have a little issue with Apple, but wherever you get your podcast, we're on all of them. Go so there. Go there and leave us some feedback. If you can't give us five stars, tell me why. Give us some criticism. I promise you I can take it or we can take it. And she, and for the record, she wasn't generally irritable today. <laughs> Folks, you've been listening to Of The People. I'm Robert Chernin. I'm Erica Reddick. And we will see you next week. <laughs>